I'm a firm believer of outsourcing a lot of things to you because as physicians, our time, and I see physicians do this all the time, that $10 to $100 tasks are not what you should be doing. You should be focusing on the $100 to $1,000 tasks, you know. Uh, and so when you have a property manager, you're valuing your time, but you're also isolating yourself, taking that step back. Therefore, you're not the one um, being the bad guy or, or laying those rules, right? And so there's a lot of efficiency in that. It also gives you time freedom and geographic freedom, which is which I think is super important. But having a great property management team in place. Now, if they already have uh, an asset that they've acquired, that's something that they would have to put into place. But when I have pe when people come to me in terms of acquiring new properties, I always say the first thing, you know, you work backwards, you find a great team, and then you you vet properties through them and make make sure that uh, the, the sub-market you're looking in and, uh, you know, the numbers that you're running in terms of the, the rents that you anticipate things to be, all that needs to be vetted by that team. And they usually are people who come with great track records, and they're the ones that are going to be helping you manage it. And I think that team part is very critical. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. The episode today is with Dr. Param Baladandapani, a radiologist turned real estate investor and coach to other physician property owners at generationalwealthmd.com. One type of client that Dr. Bala helps are physicians strategically structuring physician-owned real estate to maximize tax efficiencies and transfer income to lower tax structures and optimize their equity for maximum returns. I hope you enjoy it. And we have an announcement that our Q2 report has been released at Providers, Properties, and Performance. We often talk about the importance of having the latest market data when making investment decisions. Each quarter, Doc Properties publishes a market report that gives you exactly what you need to identify opportunities for the greatest return and investment. Our Q2 report breaks down the submarkets, sales activity, asking rents, cap rates, and more. We'll go through it in depth in an upcoming episode, but you can download your free copy at docproperties.com forward slash AZ dash medical dash office dash market forward slash. And that web address will be in the show notes as well. Thank you. Param, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I'm excited to be here, Tricia. So you have to tell about your background, how you, you worked really hard to become a radiologist, and then now you're um, a full-time real estate investor. So what made you decide to give up your medical career? Um, so interesting story. Um, I had uh, the dream job, 12 weeks vacation, um, great lifestyle, and um I was almost 10 years out of uh, out of fellowship training, um, and there was a merger at work. And um, suddenly the terms weren't um, what I wanted and I was supposed to take call and I had young kids. It just didn't make sense. So I, I went through this career transition, which was rough. It wasn't something I was anticipating. Um, I realized that I had no control. I, I lacked autonomy and um, I started looking at um, 
how much passive income I had. And until then, I I had a couple of rental uh, properties, but I wasn't really focused on real estate. I just picked them up along the way. And then I had my stock portfolio. Comparing the two, I realized that with a third of my money in the rental properties that I had, which were just simple buy and hold long-term rentals, nothing fancy over there. I was making, um, with, with a third of my money in that, I was making twice as much in terms of passive income as I was making in my stock portfolio because because of the four percent safe withdrawal rate, you can only withdraw four percent of that once you factor in inflation and market volatility and how you need to allocate your assets over there. And so that's when it just you know that was my pivotal moment. Um, I realized that you really needed to build my passive income and be financially independent so that I had more control um, over you know um, over my job, over the terms of the job, and so that I would never be in that position again where I had all that anxiety with that career transition. So I started educating myself and um, acquiring more long-term and short-term rentals, just boosting returns. And then suddenly I realized the importance of, of having higher returns and you know how that would get me to financial freedom faster. And uh, I had a three-year goal. I was like, in three years, I'm going to increase my portfolio to the point where all of my um, uh, expenses, including discretionary travel, luxury spending, everything would be covered by my real estate portfolio. And then I got to that in a year once I started educating myself and that was my uh, aha moment. And I was like, okay, well, there's something here, something that all physicians need to do, especially if they're looking for, you know, that security that comes with the with the passive income, if they're looking for financial freedom, they're looking for autonomy, um, they, they need to know this. I, I still work a day in medicine. Um, and right now my kids are little and this, this works perfect for me, uh, but I feel like I have more control over how I practice medicine and I want that for other physicians. So, you know, you're not the first physician that's been on this podcast that talks a lot about that. So in your opinion, what's going on in medicine that's pushing physicians out after you guys spend so many years training and and honestly, you know, you're taking out huge student loans and not generating an income and then you get out and you're disenfranchised, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you know, um, it's not what you imagine going in. You know, you always feel like uh, you have your patient's best interest at heart. And then you know what standard of care is, you know what best practices are, you feel like you're going to have a voice, you don't always end up having that. Um, you know, this is, if the systems are inefficient, sometimes you don't have control over that, you aren't able to change it, you know that there are better, you know, um, systems and processes out there, but you aren't always heard, which leads to physician burnout. I just want to mention my story. Um, after that transition, the pandemic hit and, you know, kids were home, I was fortunate enough to be able to work from home, but the practice model shifted so much where I started becoming more RVU driven. I was watching the kids during the day and trying to work from home. I was reading x-ray till midnight. My kids were sleeping in the office with me. You know, it isn't what I'd imagined medicine, practicing medicine would be. I had very little control over the, the caseload I had um, over, you know, optimizing um, the systems, uh, even picking what best practice, what I felt was best practice for my patients. I feel a lot of that, like that lack of autonomy, um, the burnout that physicians experience, all of that um, makes us um, relook how we want to practice medicine, you know, and, and actually being able to say, hey, right now, I only want to work three days a week. Uh, that's not an option many of us have, even if that's what works best for you. That's where I think financial freedom comes in. Absolutely. So you have a consulting practice and you help other physicians that have ownership in different types of real estate, but I want to want to focus on the ones that have ownership in like the physician ownership in surgery centers and medical office buildings. So they come to you after they're already invested or do in, in those type of assets, or do you get them to say, okay, the proceeds from these assets I help you with? 
So uh, just to give a little bit of backstory to that, I started out coaching physicians because I wanted them to build their own active portfolios because I saw how significantly higher the returns were. And so I coach people who basically have no knowledge about real estate to people who actually have portfolios that they want to scale. But a lot of the physicians um, that I see who come in um, already have, they either own their practice and they own the real estate um, that's associated with it, or they have ownership interest in, say, a surgical center or an endoscopy center. Some of them are gastroenterologists. Um, and and so they're, so if you look at their income, and you know some of them don't have it structured that way, which is where I'm like, okay, you need to have it structured that way. If you have ownership interest in real estate, a, you're like, you know, you get your returns are more than what you're actually seeing, right? So I help them understand what the benefits of owning real estate is, especially if you're a physician. Um, and then I help them strategize with optimizing their taxes with it. So just to give you an example, Tricia, when you're owning real estate, um, as opposed to leasing it, right, you think it's just a difference in, okay, so um, this is my mortgage, my mortgage payment is equivalent to what I would pay paying in rent, but that's not factoring in everything, right? So when you're actually paying yourself, uh, you know, income, uh, when you're paying the, you know, the LLC that holds your real estate income, you're transferring income from your active bucket, the, the, the money you're making as a practitioner into that passive bucket that you're getting, and that's taxed very differently. So already you're seeing tax advantages of moving money into that passive bucket. Um, when you're doing that, you're also able to do income shifting. You may have a child or a parent who is in a lower income tax bracket who's able to assist you, and therefore you're able to transfer money out to them. And you're, again, you're, uh, there's tax efficiency in that income shifting. Um, and um, so you're seeing some tax benefits over there. So you're, you're moving the money around, and that's helpful. And then you also have a market appreciation, right? And that's something people don't factor in. They're just looking at the, the, the lease payment versus the, the mortgage payment. But when you actually own real estate, you have market appreciation. And if you're leveraged in that real estate, you're you're getting 12 to 16% return annually from that appreciating over time. You have debt paid on that's happening on, on one end where you're paying those month, making those monthly mortgage payments, but that goes towards the principal portion, your equity in that real estate is increasing over time. Um, and then you get the tax advantages where the income that you're making from it, you're really not taxed on because of depreciation. So all, and then you again, hedging against inflation. So this is true for all real estate, but I feel like when physicians look at the equation, they're not factoring in all of these different ways, they're actually getting returns from real estate, which is why I think it's very powerful for physicians to own real estate, especially if they're, you know, if it's a associated with their practice. So when you're thinking about it, A, you factor all of that in, uh, all those multiple ways that you're getting returns. But the interesting part is, if you're a physician who's also trying to acquire additional real estate, then it gets really cool because now you have this bucket where you're getting passive income, right? And you know mostly because of depreciation, you aren't paying income taxes on it, but you're now able to strategize where if you're acquiring additional income, um, you can um, now take losses that you can get by accelerating or doing bonus depreciation on those properties and those losses can further reduce the passive income that you're getting um you know that you're getting in this bucket so you have ways to maybe get a short-term rental or a long-term rental and do bonus depreciation where those huge losses everybody else just gets to keep them in the passive bucket and not really use them in that year or they need to you know, have their spouse become a real estate professional to move that into the active bucket and then use it to shelter their clinical income. These physicians who already have passive income from real estate, they're able to strategize all their other acquisitions around reducing income taxes over there. Um, and so there's just uh, so much more they can do with it and ways to play around it. Um, I have someone who gets uh, one of our uh, one of my current coaching um, clients gets $200,000 of passive income from a surgical center that they have ownership in. And so now uh, 
instead of paying taxes on that, they can acquire other real estate and they don't really have to be super active in it, can sit in that passive bucket, but all their losses from bonus depreciation can be used to shelter so shelter that $200,000 of passive income. So just, it just makes strategizing around real estate easy. It makes it much simpler for them because now they don't have to be super active and really get all those tax benefits. And um, it just opens up so many more options, which I think is really important for physicians in these high income tax brackets. Absolutely. I have absolutely nothing to add. That's that's fabulous uh, the way you described all of that. I mean, I, I think that's the the biggest key is that physician-owned real estate really can be this incredible financial tool. And it's not just the difference of the monthly mortgage payment versus a lease payment and that it can actually help reduce their tax liability, which is significant if you're taking all that income just as W-2. And, you know, the reason why um, healthcare real estate is so healthy is because it's actually real estate that's being used that you can't replicate it. You can't have surgeries. You can't do physical exams someplace else or virtually. It has to be done in person. And so these are buildings that are being used. And, you know, different municipalities throughout the country shut down for elective surgeries, but that was just a few weeks and then they came back. So, you know, it's, it is an essential business. As long as there's humans walking the earth, they're going to need healthcare. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, when these physicians that aren't really aware of all of this, and sometimes they get themselves in because they're not aware, you know, they they sometimes get themselves to where the real estate isn't working for them. Do you help them sort of work out of that? Like if they have a a building where maybe they've leased to somebody else, and you know they it's a it's somebody they know, so they just you know kind of said, yeah, pay this, I'll pay that. Sometimes they have a lease, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's month to month. And how do you help a, a physician through that when they have an emotional connection with a tenant and then most likely they have an emotional connection to the actual piece of real estate and it's hard for them to step out of that? Yeah, um, you know, there are two things to that. Um, so the first thing is, and this is the way I practice and everyone's a different way of doing it. I always recommend, especially for something that's a, um, a long-term property, something that's not short-term where, you know, you really need to be hands-on in it. I always recommend having a great property management team in place. And that takes away a lot of the hassles you have with really knowing the person um, and, and making all these allowances that you shouldn't be and having difficulty, like, you know, laying the ground rules over there. Um, I, I'm a firm believer of outsourcing a lot of things you, because as physicians, our time, and I see physicians do this all the time, that Ten to hundred dollar tasks are not what you should be doing. You should be focusing on the hundred to thousand dollar tasks, you know. Uh, and so, when you have a property manager, you're valuing your time, but you're also isolating yourself, taking that step back. Therefore, you're not the one um, being the bad guy or or laying those rules, right? And so, there's a lot of efficiency in that. It also gives you time freedom and geographic freedom, which is which I think is super important. But having a great property management team in place now, if they already have uh, an asset that they've acquired, that's something that they would have to put into place. But when I I have pe when people come to me in terms of acquiring new properties, I always say the first thing, you know, you work backwards, you find a great team and then you you vet properties through them and make make sure that uh, the, the sub market you're looking in and, uh, you know, the numbers that you're running in terms of the, the rents that you anticipate things to be all that needs to be vetted by that team. And they usually are people who come with great track records and they're the ones that are going to be helping you manage it. And I think that team part is very critical. But if they have a property where the numbers aren't working, and this happens often, because it's it's a numbers game, and if 
you know, if they're if you get in the education prior to actually purchasing the property, then you know how to pick the right submarket. You know to run your numbers accurately from day one and factor in everything, including vacancy and property management costs and maintenance into the equation. So you know what your actual cost holding costs are going to be and and you know, what your profit is. But if you haven't done that. Um, then the, the right thing to do is to look at how much equity you have in that property in terms of what your returns are to find the next best place where it makes sense for you to maybe move that money and run the numbers for that scenario and see how much more your equity can be doing for you essentially. And then, and then you make a decision, right? So again, it always boils down to the numbers and, um, in, and it boils down to what returns you're getting from a property. Sometimes that's, that's the most you can get in that situation. Sometimes it's just operational efficiencies that you can work on, but sometimes you may just need to shift strategies and that's what they need to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard when they when they're emotionally attached to the tenants though and they're like I see them every day I can't have those conversations. <laughs> yes, that that that's really really hard and there are pros and cons to it, right? When you have that emotional connection, you're obviously bringing in people who are also helping you with your pra practice, you have a referral base, you're helping each other out. That's a symbiotic relationship which is which helps you thrive um most most often. Um but uh but yeah, but when you have to make those, those tough decisions, then it can get a little tricky, which is why it's nice to have a third party in there who is able to go and, uh, you know, make sure that those late fees and those uh, and everything that's in the contract is is actually executed. <laughs> right. That rent's being paid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you had talked about, um, you know, you have some systems in place for efficiency. Uh, what are some of those systems that you have? Um, so that's like a huge topic, but if I were to do like a broad overview, the first, um, the first key is going to be a property management team, right? So, so that they, um, they're doing everything that needs to be done in, in terms of routine maintenance and, um, accounting and, and making sure, um, that everything's efficient in terms of utilities, um, and contracted services, everything is optimized. If they have a great track record of doing that and they are, they have a finger on the pulse in that submarket, then, then they're going to be doing a great job. The next thing is going to be accounting and making sure you're getting the, the tax benefits that you are, because every time you're optimizing your taxes, your returns are, are getting boosted, right? And so you're able to, you know, you, you have a higher capacity to hold on to that property, even in terms of, you know, even in times of economic recession. So optimizing the returns in terms of taxes and accounting, that's super important. And then you also want to have systems in place for asset protection. And so you need a great um, attorney on your team. You want to make sure well, especially if you're starting out and you're hoping to scale, then whatever you have right now has to be simple, but it also needs to be scalable. Um, and um, that's that's another area where I think there's a, a lot in terms of efficiency. So the accounting, um, asset protection, and then actually having that team the prop, the, that's actually doing the day-to-day -day work, all of those are important. Um, and because that team is going to make sure you're getting optimal rents, but also uh, decreasing your expenses. And, and that difference is going to make sure you're cash flowing appropriately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Understanding your expenses um, is key. And unfortunately, not obviously it's a, but I, I think some physician owned real estate, they, they just say, you know, they pay their bills, but they don't actually have a grasp on the operating expenses and where, you know, there's places in there that they could maybe reduce their expenses. And it can be overwhelming because medicine is one thing and real estate is a whole different ballgame. It's the, it's the same with money matters, right? Uh, we come out as physicians, we're making these um, high six-figure incomes, seven-figure incomes, but no one's really taught us about money. And uh, I, I talk to physicians all the time. I was at a 25-year reunion for my med school uh, a couple of weeks ago. And 
people are just learning about mutual funds and index funds. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> there is, uh, there, you know, there, uh, in terms of how much knowledge we have in the medical space, there's like this huge discrepancy in terms of what we're taught about finances. And it can be very overwhelming. And some people just tend to ignore looking at the books. And, and I, I understand that overwhelm, but if you're a, the kind of person who's not very detail-oriented and who's not great at accounting and knowing what's happening, then you that's the kind, kind of scenario where you find, you know, you don't have to learn how to do it. You need to find out who can do it for you right. uh, appropriately. And so it's quite, always a question of who, not how. If that's not your uh, your zone of genius, you don't need to be focusing on it, but you need to find someone whose zone, zone of genius is that is that aspect of it. So you're optimizing your returns. You know exactly what's happening and you're reducing inefficiencies. Absolutely. So um, we'll, we'll head to the Q&A here pretty soon, but since you did such a pivot, I think, or, you know, I, I would consider it a huge pivot, but if you were speaking to your younger self, like finishing high school, what would you tell her? Wow. Um, you know, at least towards the end of med school, I would have told myself to really learn about investing early on. And um, a big part of that would have been real estate investing. Um, so you can learn it the hard way. I spent a decade doing things wrong before I figured it out, figure it out. And, and you find a mentor or a coach uh, and you're surrounding yourself with a community of people who are, you know, aggressive about learning and 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 um, and doing things right? Then you can shift that decade into days. You you get you know. So I would definitely have educated myself. Which, in hindsight, even if I had had the opportunity, I probably would not have thought it was important enough. But knowing what I know now, yes, um, I, I could have shaved ten years off my financial independence journey if I had known what I know today, like you know, a t a twelve years ago. It just it would have taken me two years to get to financial freedom, not not twelve <laughs> years. So um, educating yourself is super important. Um, number uh, finances are important, and even if you're someone who wants to continue working full time in medicine, I think physicians work best. Uh, they do what's in their best interest and their family's best interest and their patient's best interest when they have the financial freedom to make choices that are, um, you know, that, that they believe in. And that autonomy, I think, is super important, even if you own your own practice, even if you, you know, are an employee and you want to continue to work till you're 65, you know, get to financial freedom and then and then continue to practice. But that's I, I would just tell myself to really educate myself and start investing you know, earlier and investing, um, you know, significantly in real estate early on. That's what I would have done differently. Nice. All right. Well, we'll head over, we'll head into the Q and a. So, uh, what was your first job? Uh, I, I don't know if residency counts as a job, but that was, <laughs> that was, that was it. Um, that was my first, first job, I would say. Yeah. 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 Very straightforward path in my case, nothing, nothing fancy. <laughs> what else could you imagine yourself doing for a living? Actually, honestly, I, I'm I'm blessed that uh, I I was guided and I had the opportunity to become a physician. Um, everything I anything else I would have done would have been in addition to being a physician. Um, I don't even know. Maybe start my started my own. Uh, well, that's what I'm doing right now with Generational Wealth MD, right? Online education. This is something I'm passionate about. I, I would have started it early on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the, I I think I'm in a perfect place. I'm I'm a physician. I, I invest, uh, which I think anyone who makes money should invest. So you, you're an investor if you're an earner, and, and you know that uh, comes with the territory. But I'm educating people, and I think I'm doing. Yeah, if this, I would have done this earlier if I had the opportunity to. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Ooh, uh, so I have like ten books that I have that I haven't been able to get to. <laughs> I'm realizing that with two little kids and everything that I do podcasts and courses are the best way I consume information. So most recently, I spend 30 minutes every day listening to something that 
supports my emotional health and mindset. I think that's super important. I tend to prioritize that over everything. But I have a, a recently, um, Trevor McGregor is my performance coach, and he came out with content. So I've been binging on that content. But it's all about mindset um, and performance and um, optimizing the way we talk to ourselves. Uh, so that's what I've been listening to recently. Nice. What is one thing? Well, so you, you probably you've answered this, but I don't know if there is there anything else you do for healthy self care on a daily basis? Um, so I prioritize my emotional and physical health. So 30 minutes, uh, I listen to a podcast or something that helps me um, show up the right way. I also have a trainer um, and I, uh, I train with him five days a week. And so I do that for my physical health. Um, and for self-care, I also make it a point to deliberately connect with my friends and family on a daily basis. Because when I don't do that, I feel like... Um, I feel like um, it uh, sucks the energy out of me. So I make sure that those are my priorities and actually write it down and I make sure I spend enough time on it every day um, and I block that out first and then the rest of my time is for everything else. Nice. So I'm going to ask you two questions because um, you fall into both ca categories, but um, do you think a person is born with a desire to heal or do they learn it through their medical training? Um, so in my opinion, um, we pick up we're socially conditioned. So I don't know if it happens during medical training, but I think it happens in your formative years. Um, so for me, just what I was exposed to um, helped me, you know, uh, realize that I wanted to become a physician. And I think for most people, I feel like a lot of people aren't really exposed to what it is to be a physician. But I think if you are exposed to it, if you're influenced by someone um, positively, then that steers you towards medicine. So I think that happens during your formative years, the first possibly first 10 years of your life. I think that's what steers people towards it. But the interesting th thing, Trisha, I feel is that medicine is so diverse, like each subspecialty in medicine is so different from the other. I feel like there's, you know, for most people, there is, um, there is a specialty in medicine that works for them perfectly, and they may just not be exposed to it. So yeah, I think it's just what we're exposed to. And um, I think most people um, are conditioned to become um, healers. And do you think leaders are born or trained? Ooh, um, I used to think they were born, but I'm beginning <laughs> to shift that mindset. And I'm learning that a lot of things that we think are our personality are just uh, because we haven't acquired different skill sets. <laughs> I'm training yeah. myself. So with what I know now and with the path that I'm on, I would say leaders can be trained. Absolutely. Well, thank you for this wonderful interview. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Trisha. This was fun. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.